Bibles, it's on page 21. It's on page 21 and 22, or you can uh, turn in your own copy. Genesis 27. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we have this morning to come before you, to come before your word. We ask that you would speak to your people. Lord, we need the truth. We need the truth that comes from you alone. Your word is truth. So we ask God this morning that our eyes would be opened to see, that our ears would be opened to hear, that our hearts would be opened to know and love you more that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, the outline is there. Uh, The title of the sermon is Stealing a Blessing, Cheaters Never Win. Well, I have enjoyed over the last several years having the opportunity to do some coaching, uh, sports coaching. I played a lot of sports growing up, And for the first time in, I think, 2014, we were back in the States on furlough, and Cademan played Little League Baseball in my hometown, and I got to be an assistant coach, and that was really fun, uh, working with the kids, and kind of kept with it. We were in Menasha, and then we were in Appleton, and then moved to Oshkosh. Uh, Last summer, I I was the head coach for Cademan's team last summer, and uh, going from an assistant coach to a head coach is kind of a whole different ball game, and uh, pun totally intended. Um, but I coached last year and I coached this year. And just the challenges you have working with kids, especially uh, younger kids, trying to instill values in them, right? We talk a lot about teamwork and participation, right? And practicing hard, hustling, being dedicated, sportsmanship, right? Playing by the rules. But there's a tragic irony in our sports culture that I have noticed, and it's interesting, uh, my son August, he's, he's five, and I kind of watch their, he's in flag football, and four, these four and five-year-olds, right, and they're just running around, they, don't, they have no idea what's going on, they don't care what's, you know, they don't care about winning or losing, and, you know, we say, hey, it's all for fun, right, like, just go out and have fun, and it's all about a level playing field, but the tragic irony is that they're going to get to a level where it's going to start to be cutthroat, Right? They're going to get to, lev- to a level where there's going to start to be tryouts, and people might get cut, and people are going to be recruited, and politics are going to come into play. And the reality is, that's how the world works, right? That's how, when you get out into the real world, that's how things are. And we see this in sports. We see things like open enrollment now in high school, so all the best athletes can just go to one school, right, and that school can dominate in sports. We see it in college recruiting, right, and all the scandals that keep coming out year after year with players being offered money. And we still believe, we still preach the message, cheaters never win, right? Play by the rules, cheaters never win. Except maybe when it comes to our own team, and maybe we bend the rules a little bit, and then we're kind of okay with, well, that's not really cheating, right? I think sports often provides us for a great analogy for life. Life is messy. And the reality in life is that 
Sometimes cheaters do win, right? And it kind of stinks, right? Because we grow up feeling, hey, this is, things should be fair, things should work out, it should be this level playing field. And if you've read the Bible much, if you've read through the Psalms, we see this lament over and over, crying out to God, God, why do the wicked prosper, right? Why do people who don't do the right thing end up on the, the winning side? We've been in Genesis, and it's been messy also, right? Been going through Genesis this year. Things get messy real quick in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebel against God. They sin, and the world has suffered the consequences ever since. We see the destruction of the world and the flood. We see people rebelling against God at the Tower of Babel. And then in chapter 12, we're introduced to Abraham, and we're, we've been looking at Abraham and his descendants and all the drama, all the mess that has come along with this family as they're wrestling with trusting God and trying to walk with God and trying to live out what he has called them to do. Last week in chapter 25, we saw the birth of Jacob and Esau and this promise that they would be divided from one another Saw Jacob as they're coming out, grabs Esau's heel, and his name means deceiver or cheater. We saw the parents, Isaac and Rebekah, playing favorites, right? Isaac loves Esau because he ate of his game. Rebekah loved Jacob because he stayed at home and he lived in tents. And there's all this tension, there's all this drama building. And through this all, through this mess, we've been trying to understand how can we better know the God who created the world, the God who called these people to follow him, and how can we see how all of these stories in the Old Testament aren't just good moral stories, but they point us to Christ. They point us to our need for him. They point us to the gospel. And I want to I give us a warning before we dig into this passage this morning. This, I think for a lot of us, is a very familiar passage. I think it's easy to read something like this and to, to just point fingers at the characters, right? Well, they're bad. Like, they shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done that. It's easy to see their flaws. But it's easy in doing that to not turn and look at ourselves, to look at our own flaws, to look at our own sins. And God's word to us should act like a mirror, right? We hold up God's word, and it reflects back to us and shows us how we fall short, how we don't walk with him, and how we don't trust him. And it helps us to show our need for Christ, that we are in the same boat as the people in the Old Testament. Just like them, if, if we are left to our own ways, we will take matters into our own hands instead of trusting the Lord and waiting on his timing. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement to us this morning is let us, let God and his word confront us in our fears, confront us in our insecurities, in our mistrust of other people, in our scheming to have things go our way for our own personal gain. This is a long chapter. I'm not going to read through the whole chapter all at once here. We will read it all, but we're going to read it in chunks. So if you're following the outline here on the insert, we're going to be breaking it down into those five sections. And the first thing we're going to see is Rebecca and Jacob scheming for the blessing. Genesis 27, verses 1 through 25. 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you should bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to, his, to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Again, this familiar scene, Isaac is about to die. He calls Esau, my son. He comes, calls him to come to him so that he may bless him, that he may eat this last meal and bless him before he dies. But Rebecca is in the background. She overhears this conversation, and then she goes to work, scheming and plotting she says to Jacob, my son, obey my voice as I command you. And we know from the end of chapter 26, Esau was 40 years old when he took these two women to be his wives. So Jacob is obviously at least 40 years old here, being a twin to Esau. So he's not just this young boy who needs to do what mommy tells him to do. 
He is a grown man. And Jacob balks at this scheme. He says, wait a minute, mom, how is this going to work out? I'm not sure that we can pull this off. And it's not because he thinks it's wrong, right? He's afraid that he's going to get caught. So he's like, I don't know if we should go through with this plan. But they, they do go through with the plan. Jacob puts on Esau's hairy clothes. Rebekah cooks the food the way that Isaac likes it. And then Jacob here is about to pull off the deception of all deceptions. We saw in chapter 25 that he schemed for the birthright. And now he is going to scheme for the blessing. It's interesting as he, he comes to Isaac here that he even dares to credit God with the success of this plan. In verse 20, Isaac says, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Notice those words. Jacob doesn't say, The Lord my God granted me success. He says, The Lord your God. Because Jacob is not walking with God. Jacob is not trusting in God. Jacob is scheming and plotting and trying to get things on his own. And we also see this 40 years of parental favoritism playing itself out here, right? 40 years of brother versus brother, and it's all going to come to a tipping point here. Again, you know, wanted us to point the finger at ourselves, right? Look to ourselves. What do we do to gain advantage for our children, if we have children, right? Maybe it's in sports or in school. What do we do? How far would we go? Or for ourselves, how far would we go to gain an advantage for ourselves? Maybe in the workplace, in our social relationships, at school. I saw a kind of interesting and bad, I guess, example of this as a, as a child. I grew up in a very small town in south central Wisconsin, a town of about 800 people. And uh, when I was in grade school, I was probably like 11 or 12, uh, they had a very successful basketball program. A uh, new family had moved to town. The principal uh, of, the, of the new high school, his son was a very good basketball player. He went on to play college basketball. And that team dominated the other, other schools around them. But, and my uncle was on the team, and so, and my grandparents were involved in, in all of this. Uh, but there became this huge rift, this huge divide that literally divided the whole town over this basketball team. It was the people who supported the coach and his son on the, on the booster club, and then it was the people in the parent-teacher organization who were all against them. And it was just drama. And there were, like, there were literally like almost brawls outside of the game, like in the hallway, team versus team. It was just craziness. And I remember... Um, hearing my grandparents talk, and it literally, it literally divided my step-grandpa from his sister and her husband. Their families were literally divided over something as stupid as a high school basketball team. And you just think about that, you see that as a kid, and then you grow up, and it's like, oh, wait, well, there's, 
division everywhere, right? We see division everywhere in our society. People are divided over tons of different things. We're divided over politics, right? We're divided over sports. We're divided over religion. And it's not just, you know, big like Muslims versus Christians or Hindus versus Buddhists. We're even divided in our churches, right? We're divided theologically over different things. And I would argue that there are some things that are worth dividing over. There are some things that are central to the gospel that we would say, hey, this is worth saying, okay, we're, we're in a different place and we will not in a way that, hey, we're just going to hate other people who aren't like us. But there are things that we will say, there are things worth taking a stand for and worth dividing over. Things like the deity of Christ, right? Is Jesus who he claimed to be? Did he really die in our place as a substitutionary atonement? Did he pay for our sins? Did he rise again on the third day? Is God's word true? You know, those are things that are central to what we believe, that we will say, hey, these are things that are worth dividing over. But we don't focus as a church on, on being divisive and dividing over things. We want to see unity in the city. We want to see unity among gospel-preaching churches who hold to these things. And I want to encourage you guys. Uh, there's been some uh, churches, church leaders who have been getting together for lunch for the past several months and talking about how can we trust God? How can we work together and reach this city for Christ? How can we preach the gospel, and live out the gospel when we are living in a very divided society, in a very divided world? How can we show people that we are united in the hope that we have in Christ? So again, we want to be careful as a church, right, to hold to the things that are our distinctives, but also say, hey, we are embracing others who trust in Christ, who trust in God's word, and we do want to work together in this city. There are so many people in this city who need to hear the gospel, so let's work together. So I would ask you just to pray, to join me in praying for unity in this city. We do that when we have our congregational prayer. We pray for unity in the city among the churches. But join me, join us in continuing to pray that the, church in, the churches in Oshkosh would be united around the gospel and that people in the community would be pointed to Christ and the hope that we have in him. Well, back to our story as it continues Jacob receives the blessing that he was scheming for. Verses 26 through 29. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Jacob comes near to his father Isaac. Isaac smells the garments of Esau and the plan works. He gets the blessing that he was scheming for. And there are two I think kind of interesting elements of this blessing that kind of fulfill promises that God has already made. The first one is the promise of land. 
So you see in the beginning of the promise, he says, The smell of my son is, is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Then may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. So this is agricultural language talking about receiving the land, having the land be, be blessed and be fruitful. And these, this idea of, of blessing and prosperity, it's not only for the people, but it's also for the livestock, right? For the herds and the flocks, that they would prosper and that they would dwell long in the land. So that is the first part of the blessing from the Lord. The second part is related to people, right? God promised to, to bless Abraham, to give him land, and to give him descendants. The second part about the people, that people would serve you and that nations would bow down to you that you would be Lord over your brothers. Now the interesting thing about this is this actually fulfills the promise that God made in chapter 25. He said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So this fulfillment here of the blessing is what God intended all along, that Isaac would that Esau would serve Jacob. So what's going on here? Why does Isaac, why does Isaac go along, what, why, why does Isaac try to give this blessing only to Esau? Didn't he know the, the promise that God had given to Rebekah? Again, this part of the blessing here, it did belong to Jacob. So we also have to ask, okay, so does that justify Rebekah and Jacob's Scheming, like, is it okay that they did that because God said this was what was going to happen? No, it doesn't justify it. God had already promised it, but they took matters into their own hands. They didn't wait on God's timing. We've said this, mentioned this over and over, right? Abraham and Sarah being promised a child, but they go and they do things their own way. And Ishmael is born, and then all this drama comes out of it. Think about the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told in Luke 15. The younger son comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance, give me my portion now, and I'm gone, right? And we know what happened, right? He, he takes his inheritance, he leaves, he squanders it all, and then one day he comes back and the father's waiting with open arms. But then the older brother is like, well, what's going on? I've been here this whole time, right? I've been faithful to you, father, and, and you do this. Well, what about us? Do we trust the Father? Do we trust the way that he handles things? Do we trust his plan and his timing for our lives? The next section as we continue on, the third part is missing the blessing. Verses 30 to 38, missing the blessing. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. 
As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Well, Isaac and Esau both are rightfully furious at how things have played out here. Isaac was deceived by his own son. Esau was cheated by his own brother. And it says here that Isaac trembled very, very violently. And the Hebrew is literally that he trembled a very great trembling. And anytime you see a word repeated like there, trembled a very great trembling, that's the strongest way that you can say something. That he just, he trembled so violently. He was so furious. Esau cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Again, the Hebrew here is very strong. It's that he, he screamed. He was enraged. And then um, Esau's response, talking about Jacob, his name. Isn't he rightfully named Jacob for he has cheated me twice? So we have this wordplay here with Jacob's name and cheated, Jacob being the cheater. And then he talks about being cheated these two times, being cheated out of his birthright and now being cheated out of the blessing. And again, there's a wordplay, these words in Hebrew, birthright and blessing kind of rhyme. So there's all this kind of language that's very rich here in this section. We come to Isaac's response, though, to Esau. Esau is saying, don't you still have a blessing for me? And Isaac, in verse 37, says, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And again, this is a fulfillment of chapter 25, verse 23. But Esau says, God, or Father, can't you bless me too? And it's interesting here, wondering why Esau could not have also received a blessing. Why did Jacob, or why did Isaac not call both of his sons to bless them? Because in the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob calls all 12 of his sons, and the whole chapter is filled with all these blessings that he gives to all of his sons. So really, there's no reason why Isaac couldn't have given a blessing to both of his sons. But he was scheming here also. He was showing favoritism, trying to give the blessing only to Esau. And Esau, he was guilty as well. He went along with the plan. He said, okay, my father's going to bless me. I will go out. I'll hunt the game. I'll come back, and I'll get the blessing. Now here he is left with nothing. He is reaping what he has sown. And Isaac will answer his question. His question, have you not reserved a blessing for me? In the fourth section here, Jacob or Esau receives the anti-blessing. 
receiving the anti-blessing. Here is what Isaac says to him. Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Notice here the reversal of the blessing that was given to Jacob. Jacob was promised the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven. For Esau, it is away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, away from the dew of heaven. It is an anti-blessing. And then he says, by your sword you shall live. If you read through the rest of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, when you see the term Edomites, that is a people of Esau, which we saw in Esau's name in chapter 25. Esau, he's also called Edom. Okay? The Edomites will continue to be at war with the people of Israel all throughout the history of the Old Testament. So when you see these two nations going at it, the, in fact, the book of Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament, is all a prophecy of judgment against the Edomites. Okay? So this, that's a fulfillment of what is happening here, of God saying, you will live by the sword. You will be at war with your brothers for the rest of your history. And then you will serve your brother. You will serve your brother, which is what God had already said was going to happen. So that's the long-term impact, right? There's going to be these two nations, these two families are going to be warring with each other. That's the long-term. But we see next how these events, how what they have done here will be felt in the short term. And this is the pain of the blessing, The pain of the blessing, verses 41 to 46. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while, while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these... One of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So, the pain of the blessing, first thing is that we have brother hating brother. Esau wants to murder Jacob, right? Because of the events that have happened. Their relationship is fractured. The next thing is the pain of the mother sending her son away. Jacob is sent away into exile, and we have no record of Rebekah and Jacob ever seeing each other again. So all of this scheming, all of this plotting, cost them their relationship. They never saw each other again. And then the third thing we see is pain for Isaac and Rebekah because of Esau's disobedience. At the end of chapter 26, it talks about how Esau took two wives, from the, one from the Hittites and one from the uh, people of, or both, sorry, both were uh, Hittite women. 
So when Rebecca is saying here that I loathe my life because of the Hittite women, it's because of the wives that Jacob took. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that God is not opposed to intermarriage um, racially or ethnically. That's not what the message is throughout Scripture. The message throughout Scripture is that we are to be married to those who also trust in the Lord. So it wasn't anything prejudice against them being Hittites in and of themselves. It was that they were not followers of Yahweh. They did not trust in the Lord. And Paul's admonitions in the New Testament for us to only be married in the Lord carries that same meaning and that same purpose. So as Christians, we are to marry others who trust in the Lord. So we see, we're going to see again that the consequences of these things play out really throughout the rest of Genesis and throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And what we can see, how we can apply this to our own lives, is we can also see that our sin has consequences. Our scheming, our deceiving, our mistrust of God and others, it all has consequences. It cannot end well, right? If we scheme and plot in the way they did here, it cannot end well. But we see the fruit of this, right? We see it in our families. We see it in our communities. We see it in our churches. But we're not left without encouragement and hope. Jesus addressed interpersonal conflict in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 24. He said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Right? We look at Esau here. Well, he didn't, we know he didn't murder Jacob. He wanted to, and he was angry enough to, right? And that's sin. That's wrong. Then Jesus goes on to say, "If if you're coming to the altar to give a gift, if you're coming in worship, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The lesson here is not don't be like Esau who was angry at his brother, who wanted to murder his brother. The moral of the story as we go through this is you are like Esau, right? You are like Jacob. You are like Rebecca. You are like Isaac. We all are, right? We all scheme. We all have anger in our hearts. We all are sinners in need of a Savior just as they were. Sinners who need to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ by the grace of God. God desires for us to be reconciled to him and to one another. And just as Jesus talks about there, God wants He wants reconciled relationships more than he wants outward rituals and outward actions. It's about our hearts. So what if someone comes walking through the doors and just sees us, right? We're just going through the motions. We're doing all the right things. We're saying all the right things. But there's no love for God. There's no love for one another. There's no love for the people that are coming in. There's no forgiveness. So what, right? I mean, if we have all these external things, but we're not reconciled to God and one another, none of that matters. It's just a show. 
So what do we have to offer to the world? What do we have to hurting people who come through the doors? Again, it's not our ability to look like we have it all together. We have the gospel to offer them. The same gospel that we all need, the same Savior that we all need, that's what we have to offer. Well, the underlying theme of this chapter, if you haven't noticed in reading through it, is blessing. Some form of the word blessing occurs 22 times here in these 46 verses. And it's blessing as opposed to curse. These two themes of blessing and cursing run counter to each other really from the beginning of Genesis. From chapter 3 all the way on, there's this idea of, of blessing and cursing. And it goes on throughout the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, the question that the people of God are asked is, will the people follow Yahweh? Will they walk with him? Will they follow the shepherd? Right? Psalm 23, we all love Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Will they follow the shepherd? That's the question here as we're going through Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the sons, all the descendants, are they going to walk with the shepherd? Are they going to trust the shepherd? Jesus puts the same question to us in John chapter 10. He asks the people there with him, his, his followers and those around, will you follow the shepherd or will you follow false teachers or will you follow your own way? Will you listen to the shepherd's voice? Will you find life in him? Listen to these words from Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." A stranger they will not follow, but they will, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And John says this figure of speech, or yeah, John, sorry, John says this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus goes on. He said, again, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is the message of the cross. That is the hope that we have. That the shepherd came, he loved us, he laid down his life for us. He died in our place. He calls us to follow him. Will you follow him? 
Will you follow him today? Will you follow him the rest of this week? Will you listen to his voice? The one who laid down his life for you and for me. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious to us. We're reminded as we see the story of, of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau, of the, of the mess, of the, of the conflict, of the drama that plays out in this family. We are reminded of our own sin, of our own shortcomings, of our own inability to follow you on our own strength. We need to hear the shepherd's voice. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Help us to walk with Jesus. Help us to trust in him, knowing that he has come to give us life abundantly. That doesn't mean that we get everything we want in this life. It doesn't mean that we're free from from worry and free from suffering. But we have hope. We have joy. We have peace because of Christ. I pray that we would live that out, that people would see, people around us would see that joy and see that hope, that we would have opportunities to share the hope of the gospel with those who don't know you. Thank you again for your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.